From breaking news to local stories happening where you live, this is the Jill Bennett Show podcast. We are starting, though, with a lawsuit, some legal action that is getting a lot of attention. Lawyers for bassist Jim Cale and drummer Gary Peterson say the pair have been using the name The Guess Who for decades, and former bandmates who are suing them for trademark infringement waited too long to do so. Randy Bachman and Burton Cummings in October launched that action, suing Cale and Peterson, both original members of the Winnipeg band, saying they had assembled a cover band to perform and release albums under the Guess Who name. They're looking for more than $20 million U.S. in damages, saying this was false advertising and violation of the right of publicity and unfair competition. Well, where does all of this begin and how credible is this lawsuit and what do we know about it? Eric Alper is joining us now, music publicist and commentator, to talk a bit more about what is happening. Eric, great to have you back on the show. Oh, always happy to talk legal stuff with you, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into the, the legal yeah. stuff and what's happening here, I always like to ask you, because I know you've, you've met almost everybody in the music industry. Have you met the, the players here, the members of the Guess Who? Um, even more so. I actually did PR for Randy Bachman and the Guess Who on separate occasions. So this one is going to be, um, this one I'm going to walk the fine line here with what I think is going on and what is probably going to end up happening. All right. Well, so you've got uh, some insider uh, knowledge and a, a viewpoint that many, many people don't. So let's start with what has fueled this or sparked this. What do you think is really at the heart of this? For sure. Okay, so one thing to keep in mind is that the Guess Who vibe and um, uh, and their reputation in Canada is very different than in the U.S. I think a lot of people in Canada would know that the Guess Who doesn't actually have Burton Cummings and Randy Bachman in it. But in the U.S., though, they have a much different perception about classic rock bands. They're used to one member of Journey being the original one or one member of Foreigner being in the band that's touring. So having said that, we've got to go back like 60 years, and that's when Chad Allen and the Reflections um, formed in 1962. And that had Randy Bachman, Jim Cale, Gary Peterson, Bob Ashley, and Chad Allen in the group. Chad and Bob left the group a couple of years later in 1966. That's when Burton Cummings was brought on to be the new lead singer of the new band called the Guess Who. That band obviously took off with Burton on lead vocal. They had American Woman. They had No Time. They had Undone. All of these hits. Um, Basically, then Randy left the group in 1971. Burton left in 1975. This is where it starts to get interesting, because Jim Cale, who played bass for the group, registered the name The Guess Who shortly after Burton left. Probably both Randy and Burton both gave him permission to go on. Keep in mind, in the 1970s, nobody had any idea that anybody would be lasting more than 10 years. You know, nobody knew that the Stones were going to be going 60 years from now. Jim has since retired from performing, but Gary continues to play drums for the Guess Who now. So that means that the permission of the Guess Who's name 
kind of ended with Jim, but not necessarily with Gary, because he didn't actually register the name. Without any inside knowledge, that's what I think is happening, is that the person that is continuing the name of the Guess Who is not the one that is authorized to use the name in the first place, unless there was some secret deal between Jim and Gary that nobody knows (laughs) about except for those two. (laughs) All right, so a lot of dots to connect there. And why do you think it's happening now, so many years later? It's interesting that it's happening now because I have a feeling that even though that Randy and Burton have performed with the guests who, within, in a number of years, they actually did a couple of reunion shows, including the Pan Am Games in Winnipeg um, a while ago, I think there might be something else at play, and that might be the re-releasing of the Guess Who material that Randy and Burton both might have in their possession. They might actually have the idea in 2024 to do a number of dates under the name The Guess Who with both Randy and Burton, only to find out that they actually can't use the name. And I think sometimes the ego um, has to play into it as well. For all we know, both Randy and Burton might be getting a lot of emails or calls from booking agents saying, we can't book you, Randy, in the States, because the Guess Who was already there and you were already in that band. And so there might be some level of confusion that happens, because again, in the Guess Who, people only really remember remember the songs. They, the audiences might not remember the whole quagmire of who is in the band at any given time. Right. And like you said, a much different memory or connection with this band in Canada compared to the United States. Yeah, I mean, you know, in the 1970s, there were no less than three different versions of Fleetwood Mac that were touring, and all of them did really, really well. Um, but it's also that in the in the states, I, I mean, look, people in Vancouver may actually get this as well. Is you know, you see on certain PBS stations those oldie groups, those real oldie groups of like the Temptations or the Four Tops, and they're touring hundreds of times throughout the year. There is not a single original member in there. So are they a cover band of the Temptations or the Four Tops, or are they legitimately the owners of that new name? And that's where the legal ramifications come into play, and a lot of paperwork um, needs to be upfront about something like that. But we better kind of get used to this idea, though, while all of these older uh, you know, musicians start to get up there in age and passing away, there actually might be a lot of the classic rock artists and bands that we love um, seemingly tour forever, but obviously with no original members, which is surprising since you and I, Joe, we're still staying the exact same age. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, did they part on bad terms then? Because I'm sure, I, I saw Burton Cummings play at a, it was a large house party, but it was a house party about 12 years ago, but he played Guess Who music. So do they not all play the the same music, the same old hits? Yeah, pretty much, because, you know, Randy and Burton both will claim that they have a right to play whatever they want to play, and because they're so heavily recognized for the Guess Who songs, it would be foolish for them to continue to do shows and not play the songs that everybody might be there to hear. And they also get money for it, too. The royalties are still kind of brought down to the songwriters and the musicians of those original songs every time that they're performed live. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to do with um, with who's on good terms with who, but who is still recognized as the rightful owners that they can perform those songs. Do you think we'll find a resolution then or the courts will be able to sort this out? 
I hope that the courts won't even be an issue. I, I think that somewhere along the line, there's going to be some agreement with everybody. Um, it, nobody likes bad blood between band members. It, it's bad for the brand, um, and it's bad for the it's bad for the reputation of those people too. Because you know, nobody bats an eyelash when Tom Cruise decides that he wants to make eighty million dollars a film. But when it comes to music, though, musicians have to kind of straddle this very fine line of don't come off too greedy or else it'll look like that you're not really doing this for the right reason. Musicians have a very weird perception out there that they can't own a mansion, but Hollywood superstars can. So I hope that it kind of goes in the way of mediation, but you know we'll just have to see. But if it goes to court, it's going to be pretty ugly. All right, we will be uh, watching to see what happens next. Eric, always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk soon, Joe. Well, talk about bad blood. That is what is being talked about in North Van with RCMP there warning the public of online scams that involve the sale of tickets to the upcoming Taylor Swift concerts. Joining us to talk a little bit more about what's happening is Constable Mansour Sahak, Media Relations Officer with North Van RCMP. Constable, thanks so much for being here. Hi, Jill. Thanks for having me. This is, I guess, not a huge surprise that there are people trying to take advantage of this, but what is happening with these Taylor Swift concert tickets or these ads? Well, what we're seeing is uh, scammers are putting up ads on Facebook market primarily, and uh, they're asking uh, buyers to send them e-transfers and then um, sending them other fake links, uh, pretending that they're tickets or just not responding at all. And so the victims are out, uh, you know, thousands of dollars and the scammers are walking away with, in, in our case, uh, $1,800 and $1,000. Hmm. So it's happened twice, at least, that you know of. Do you think perhaps it's happened even more? Yeah, so it's happened, at least these two incidents reported to North Vancouver RCMP. Um, we know that there are many more reported across Lower Mainland and I've done some digging up, uh, and there's way more across Canada, way more in Toronto, Ontario. Uh, that's where the other shows are happening in November of next year uh, in Toronto. So um, it's, it's primarily hitting the places where the concerts are happening. And, of course, uh, there's um, it's going to be happening here at BC Place as well. So that's why we're seeing these cases. Do they actually have tickets that they show a picture or they, they appear to have tickets and they're using the same set of tickets in all of the scams? Or, or do the sellers not even have tickets? This is all just an elaborate scheme. So we're seeing both. Uh, in one of the incidents, uh, the seller, uh, with the buyer, sent the e-transfer money and uh, never heard back at all. And the other incident, it was uh, an email uh, that was sent to the buyer with uh, a wallet for the tickets, but they need the code for the tickets to uh, be transferred under their name. So, and that code was never sent to them. So uh, they, they were getting very elaborate. They're making it very believable for these victims to fall uh, for these scams, and they're you know they're finding different ways. So they're, it's very believable, and we've even seen um, you know previous concerts where. The the buyers purchased the tickets and they thought they were legitimate. And then when they lined up, uh, they found out that they were actually fake. And so now they're devastated and they're having to uh, go home. 
Hmm. And in that second case you talked about as well, so they communicated over Facebook Marketplace, which a lot of people use for for buying and selling things. Uh, I thought that was interesting. So they had that agreed price of $1,400, but then the the, uh, seller requested even more money. Do you see that as a common thing that, and then somebody feels like, well, I'm already in it for $1,400, hoping that it's legit and then offers or gives them more money? Yeah, so I think in the second incident, that's what the victim felt, uh, you know, that she had already or he would have already given them $1,400. And uh, once she got the email, it said, you know, hey, they need the code. And the uh, suspect asked for $400 more and still didn't provide the code. And then that's when I think uh, the, the buyer realized, okay, I'm being scammed. And so the um, the suspect just left the group chat or, the, you know, conversation and just stopped responding to the, the buyer. And when people report these, is there anything police can do as far as trying to track down the scammers? So e-transfer makes it extremely difficult to track down these suspects. Um, the reason is because they're that once the money is transferred into the suspect's account, they use it right away, they withdraw it, or they transfer it to different accounts. Even the banks have an, are having a hard time to track down these suspects or shut down these um, bank accounts. Um, so they're, it's very elaborate and it makes it very difficult to track down. Um, it would have to be substantial amount of uh, hours of investigation put into it, uh, way more than the $1,800 that's been lost. So, um, and then there are just so many that are happening, the police really don't have the, the manpower to investigate all these incidents and try to, you know, recoup the money. So are there any way, uh, other ways that people uh, c- can protect themselves? I mean, obviously not purchasing tickets that show up on, on these types of uh, platforms, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, or what have you. Uh, what else are you advising people if they are uh, looking for these tickets and trying to buy from others? So our, our, a couple of things you can do to protect yourself. Uh, one is just avoid buying tickets from a third party or somebody that you don't know, especially off Facebook Marketplace. Uh, you, you can't guarantee those tickets are real. Even if you've take, you've taken steps to verify there's still a chance that they may be fake at the end. Um, the other thing is that if you are going to buy these tickets uh, and you've taken steps to verify there are real tickets, do it as in a public place and do not e-transfer the money unless you've met them in person. And one of the places that we recommend is in front of our police station. We have a buy exchange zone. That area is under video and audio surveillance. Um, and it's there for your protection. Uh, so use that safe space. And again, if, if something goes sideways, you can just come inside the police station, ask for a police officer who will be quickly able to assist you. And I'm sure that will deter the suspect from scamming you or doing something uh, that will harm you, uh, given that they're right in front of a police station. So uh, take, a st- take steps to protect yourself and, and always just buy from a trust, uh, trustworthy buy, uh, seller. And, uh, you know, if you have to, just buy tickets from Ticketmaster or authorized to sell the tickets. All right. It's uh, good advice in light of what we've been seeing happening. Constable Sahak, thank you so much. Thank you, Joe, for having me.
Well, you've likely been hearing about this on the news. New information that has been released shows just how many people are leaving B.C. and going to live in other provinces. And we know a lot of people are headed to Alberta. About 13,000 British Columbians decided to pick up and move elsewhere in Canada. These are numbers that go back to July of 2022. And uh, a lot of people, again, have chosen Alberta as their new home. Could be because of the big ad we saw running, the Alberta government running ads, come move to Alberta, come to the opportunities here. But what other reasons are it are there for people deciding to live in Alberta? Well, Chris Brettlinger-Grant is a former CKNW producer who is one of those British Columbians who moved to Alberta, and he joins me on the line now. Chris, great to chat with you again. You as well, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you were one of the first people we thought of when we saw this story <laughs> and all of the numbers. So how long have you been in Alberta now? Ooh, uh, September 2019. So just over four years and a little bit. Yeah. And when you think back to when you were making that decision, what was it that drew you to Alberta? Uh, the opportunity, really. I mean, Vancouver's a great city. Spent the majority of my upbringing in North Vancouver, Lynn Valley. Loved it so much but just didn't really feel like the place that I grew up had a, had a place for me, right? I was 25 years old. I was working as hard as I possibly could. And every dollar that I had was going to living, basically. And so my girlfriend, now wife, and I uh, looked around, and it turned out that Edmonton was exactly what we needed, and we got our jobs and really hit the ground running. And interesting when you say that, and, uh, and again, when those ads were running, I think that was probably after you had left, but this the big campaign that was really appealing to British Columbians to move to Alberta. I, I remember hearing people uh, asking questions about, is it really that good? Can you really be guaranteed that all of these, these things are going to be waiting for you? But it sounds like it, it worked out exactly uh, how you were planning it. It did, yeah. Like, from our situation, we were living at 16th and Arbutus, both working full-time, uh, my wife working two jobs. Uh, we ended up, like, we, we had to live in a share house, basically, with four other people we'd never met before, and still just barely getting by. We moved here, and rents were substantially lower. At first, we moved into a two-bedroom condo. Um, we had roughly the same wages as we had in Vancouver. And then, you know, during the pandemic 2020, we bought a house. So from going to basically the same economic situation in terms of our incomes in B.C. to Alberta, that was such a huge change for us. It was like so much weight left our shoulders. We were able to actually like breathe a little bit and get ahead. And get a bit of space, too, uh, without having to share your living quarters. <laughs> and a dog and, you know, just, just pile on the white picket fence and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Are there things about Vancouver that you miss? Uh, the people, uh, definitely. I would say that between the two of us, 80% of our best friends are still in Vancouver. Um, and of course, the trails and the mountains and the beach is a big thing. You know, I didn't think that I'd miss the water as much as it turns out that I have. But, it, you know, I I would prefer to be a homeowner than to be able to go to the beach every day, right? Like, I, I can I can schedule vacations. And I can do that purposefully without the option of going to Stanley Park. Of course, Vancouver is one of the greatest cities in the entire world. I would love to live there again one day. But I would choose the economic opportunity that's been afforded to me in my mid-20s 
as opposed to the options of all of that green space, all of the activities that Vancouver has to offer right now. Right, right. Do, do you find, though, now when you have vacation time or time off, is, it, or is there pressure from friends and family that you always come back to BC and spend that time here? <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of pulling. Um, in, in our circles, a lot of people have also moved away. So it's not always going back to Vancouver. We go to Australia. We're going to Toronto in January because some of our friends who were in Vancouver just happened to choose Toronto instead, you know, the outskirts of Toronto. Sure, there's always going to be that pressure. And, you know, we got married in North Vancouver and it was all great to see all of our people again, especially after COVID, because that threw a whole wrench and all the socializing anyway. I, I guess, but, you know, it it's only a 90-minute flight and it's really affordable. So that's really nice, too. You can really just do a weekend. Right. And that's I was going to ask you that as well, that even though it is a different province, even if something happened or you just had an overwhelming bout of homesickness, you could hop in your car and still be back in Vancouver in what, 12, 13 hours? 13 hours. Exactly. Um, My wife and I talked about this during the pandemic, right? She's from Perth, Australia. Good luck getting there. (laughs) If I needed to get back to North Vancouver, 13 hours, it's one road, right? You take the Trans-Canada, I'll be there in 13 hours, just put your head down and do it. It's not like we moved to Helsinki or something like that, right? Like, it is a 90-minute flight, you can drive it, everything's good, right? We're neighboring provinces, it's, it's actually really easy. It was far easier of an adjustment socially than I thought it would be. Right. And I was curious, when you made the decision, did you have kind of second thoughts or were you worried that, that you were going to get to Alberta and maybe even even having the house and having a bit of financial freedom that it wasn't going to be all, all that it was being sold as? Of course. Of course. Yeah, this is before the campaign. This is before the Alberta's calling campaign. I had the benefit of having been to Alberta a couple times. My mom was from Lethbridge. Um, if anybody's in this spot, like the, the best advice that I could possibly give is go on a fact-finding mission, right? Don't show up in the city you're moving to or the province you're moving to, even country you're moving to. Don't get off the plane and have that be the first time you're ever there, right? Spend a weekend, spend a couple days and figure out if this place is for you. That's the very, very best advice that I could possibly give. And in our situation, fortunate enough to be somewhat familiar with Alberta, obviously in the business that we're in, kind of know about the politics, um, the relationships between BC and Alberta, all that stuff. But it's it's not an alien planet, really. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's been a really easy adjustment uh, for us. And, you know, politically, a little interesting sometimes, but the people, you know, if, if you're driving on a BC license plate, no one's going to give any problems, right? Sure, if you're a Canucks fan around here, mm-hmm wouldn't really advertise that but you know it's it's really good people here too and how did you choose was it work that kind of led the way or how did you choose that you were going to settle down in edmonton it was work uh so as as you as you know my wife and i are both former ckw producers uh we cast some lures out there into the universe and uh we said you know the first person who gets something done like something concrete, that's where we're going to go because it was so difficult for us for a while and so stressful that we decided, like, let's just get a change. She got her answer back first, and it's kind of like you throw a dart at all of Canada, right? And it's like, okay, it's Edmonton. It could have been Halifax. It could have been Barrie. It could have been Lethbridge, wherever. It was Edmonton. And then, fortunately enough, uh, the exact job that I had at CKNW 
uh, had posted their open in Edmonton as well. So I just transferred over and it was kind of some cosmic intervention in a way. It was fantastic. Well, it sounds like it was definitely uh, the right decision for, for both you and uh, for your wife. So I'm, I'm guessing that the, the news out or these numbers that have been released showing that there have been a lot of people moving from BC, BC to Alberta uh, probably doesn't come as a huge surprise to you. No, zero surprise. Zero surprise whatsoever. BC is absolutely fantastic. As I said, I'd love to live there again. But, you know, with the interest rates we're seeing, with everything that's going on right now, and with people's personal finances, any advantage that you can get, um, I would encourage anyone to, to obviously take that. And the campaign has been very successful, right? You've seen it all around Vancouver. We've seen photos on social media in Toronto. The government of Alberta, give them credit, they targeted some of the, some of the highest stressed areas financially. And, uh, and the young professionals, just like my wife and myself, uh, though we did it a little bit earlier, it's definitely something to consider. And, uh, uh, you know, great job by them. Uh, it's not a secret anymore, I guess. And uh, everybody out there listening, all your listeners, it's not like you're moving to Siberia, right? It's, it's a perfectly fine place. You see those, those shots on Hockey Night in Canada. I had some trepidation. You know, you think about what Edmonton is, northern Alberta. It's really, really not that perception. It's a, it's a, it's a very reasonable place to live. Almost a million people in Edmonton. I, I really can't say enough about it in our experience here. All right. Well, it sounds like you are doing great and uh, having a great time in Alberta. Chris, we'll leave it there, but it was great to catch up with you today. You as well, Jill. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to the Jill Bennett Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop? Tune in to the Jill Bennett Show live from noon till 3 on 980 CKNW. Have a question or comment? Send me an email, jill at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.